0: Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Been experienced peace, it was surprising, it was supernatural. In the midst of being treated unfairly by an umpire, um, when was the last time you were treated unfairly and got angry or felt Angry. Maybe someone cut in on you when you're driving. Maybe in school a teacher gave you a grade that you didn't feel was fair. Or maybe your boss was unfair to you. Um, someone cheat at a sport or something. Or the government was unfair. We just paid our taxes. Um, <laughs> you know, these, are, these examples, they're relatively small examples of adversity. Uh, but if we'll use the smaller adversities to grow, and like we talked about last week, to put down deep roots so that when the big stuff comes along, we've got those roots. It makes a big difference. We're in a series looking at adversity from a biblical worldview. Now, if you're not a regular here, the Bible claims to be inspired by God. At this church, we believe it is. We believe it's reliable. And so we study it and try and make sure we understand what God is telling us what He tells us about reality, what He tells us about purpose, what He tells us about how to love Him, how to love each other well. Most of the Bible is very clear, not difficult to understand. But often what God tells us goes against what we want, what our preferences are. When the umpire is so obviously wrong, we want to tell him off and yell when someone hurts us or more like someone we love, our child or a grandchild, we, we want revenge. But God says we're supposed to forgive. When, when we want to do something just because it feels good, oftentimes something feels good initially, but ends up not being good for everybody involved, and God says that's not really loving people. So what God tells us in Scripture often goes against what we think and, and even more so what we feel And that's especially true when we talk about a biblical perspective regarding adversity, difficulty, pain, tribulation. It's especially hard to believe what God tells us when we're in pain. Nevertheless, God does give us some information that's tremendously helpful if we will believe Him, in spite of how we feel often. Now, one of my favorite examples of Of the importance of perspective of what of knowing what's going on and how we often get it wrong comes from somebody who's a huge hero in the Old Testament, Elijah. So we're going to show you part of his story.
1: During the time that Israel was divided, God told a prophet named Elijah that there would be a drought in the land. He directed Elijah to leave the area and live by himself for three years near a ravine where he would have all the water he needed. One day, God told Elijah to go and confront King Ahab and his wife Jezebel about leading the Israelites to worship a false god named Baal. Elijah asked Ahab and all the people of Israel to meet him on the top of a mountain. Ahab brought 450 prophets of Baal with him. Elijah decided to conduct a challenge to prove that he followed the true God. Two bulls were brought to be sacrificed the prophets of Baal laid down pieces of wood and put the bull on it, but did not set fire to it. Call on the name of your God, Elijah challenged, and I will call on mine. Whichever answers by fire, he is God. From early morning until noon, the prophets asked their god Baal to send fire, but nothing happened. Elijah taunted them, shout louder, perhaps your God is in deep thought or sleeping. So they shouted louder and cut themselves with their swords and spears, but still nothing happened. He quickly built an altar using 12 stones, one to represent each tribe of Israel. Finally, he asked those around him to pour water all over the bull and the wood. There was so much water flowing that it filled the trench around the altar. Then Elijah called out, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. And fire fell from the sky and burned up the bull, the wood, and even the stones and soil, vaporizing all the water around it prophets of Baal were then arrested and killed in the valley below the mountain. When King Ahab returned home and told his wife Jezebel what happened, she was furious and sent word to Elijah that she was going to have him killed. So Elijah fled to the wilderness. There he met an angel, sent by God to take care of him, who gave him food and water.
0: So when Elijah hears that Queen Jezebel is going to kill him, he runs. And on this map, he runs from up above where the map starts, where the blue arrow is up above and down to where the green arrow is in Beersheba. That's about 80 miles. And then he leaves his servant there and he goes off by himself someplace probably in the purple circle and he sits down under a bush and he's just despondent. He he wants to die. And Similar to Ben's experience of just all of a sudden supernaturally being given peace that he'd never experienced, Elijah is literally touched by an angel. The angel feeds him. Elijah goes back to sleep. Angel touches him again, feeds him again. And then Elijah walks for days and gets down to around where the red arrow is, which is Horeb, which is where Moses talked uh, with God who is appearing as a burning bush and talking through a burning bush and where Moses received uh, the law and the Ten Commandments. And he stays in a cave there. And finally God comes to me and says, Moses, what are you doing here? And paraphrasing, not Moses, Elijah, what are you doing here? And paraphrasing, Elijah basically says, I'm the only one who cares about you. Nobody else. I'm the only one left and now they're going to kill me. Now do you ever feel that way? You ever feel like, you know, you're the only one trying to do the right thing at school or the only one trying to do the right thing at work or maybe, you know, like um, just the world is going the wrong way and you or you and a few friends are the only ones left and maybe they, other people persecute you or you see in the media you people like you getting ridiculed, um, can't even say the things you believe anymore. Now bear with me. This is our natural way of perceiving the fallen, broken world around us. We often don't realize that along with all the people that we see that they're being unreasonable and they're broken and the world is broken, our own thoughts and feelings and our perceptions are often skewed. We just come out of the womb crying and thinking that life, that things are far worse than they really are. Now, some of you met them last week. Three of our grandchildren were here. We had a blast. And when my, I'm with my grandchildren, whether it's here or there, I will always make um, waffles with the two older boys, five, ages five and three. And so we'll get out the waffle mix and they'll help me measure it, you know, and each takes turn, and the, the egg and the oil and the um, milk. And we mix it all up, and then we have the waffle iron there, and we'll do it together so they don't get burned. And we pour it into the waffle iron and then wait. And I set my um, alarm on my phone. And when it goes off, it quacks like a duck. And so they now are kind of like Pavlov's dog. Whenever they hear a duck quacking, they think it's time for waffles. Um, so we did this, and the first waffle comes out. And I, you know, I cut it in half to give them each half of it and put it on each their plates. And the five-year-old explains how he wants it with butter and syrup. And I do that, and then wants to cut it up. So I cut it up, and he, starts, and he starts eating. Meanwhile, the three-year-old then tells me precisely how he wants his. And, and he wants butter, and then peanut butter, and then syrup and then he asks me to to cut it for him. So I cut it as shown. And he immediately starts wailing and crying and he won't have anything to do with the waffle and he's decided that life is not worth living. (laughs) So while the younger brother's sobbing over his waffle gone bad, the older brother informs me about his preferences. I get rid of the horrible, no good, erroneously cut waffle. Uh, Replace it with one correctly, and our three-year-old Nathan, uh, grandchild, eventually calms down and eats his waffle. Now, obviously, Elijah had much bigger concerns than a waffle not cut to specifications. (laughs) But Elijah overgeneralized his heroic, almost solitary spiritual battle with the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah, he had just come off of this amazing victory. 400 prophets of Baal, 450 prophets or or priests of Asherah, and fire comes down from the sky. Can you imagine how that would impact you if you prayed and God burned something up from the sky like that? This This is big time. But he thinks he's the only one that still worships God. He his fatigue, his fear determine his perspective. He becomes depressed and he wants to die. So God has Elijah come out of the cave and stand probably near the mouth of the cave and he says, I'm, I'm gonna go pass by you. And there's this whirlwind. It's so strong that rocks are being cracked against each other. And God's not in the whirlwind. So then there's this earthquake. And if you've ever been in an earthquake, they're scary, but God's not in the earthquake. And then there's this fire and God's not in the fire. And then there's this whisper. This still small voice. And Elijah goes, Now I'm in the presence of God. God often comes to us like that, not quite as dramatically as we might wish, but in a way that we know it's Him. I hope He'll whisper to you today. Instead of letting Him die, God does all this to encourage Elijah, and he, He sends Him off to do some important tasks anoint a couple of kings and anoint His own successor, another prophet. But he also corrects his perspective. Elijah says, I'm the only one. God says, actually, there are 7,000 Israelites who have not been unfaithful, who have been faithful. In the midst of adversity, Elijah thought he might as well die and that things were much worse than they really were. Are you like that? What's the state of Christianity in the world or in this country? How do you see it? What information do you have available? Do you you feel, oh, it's just, did you know that in America, although there are fewer people attending churches these days than 15 years ago, over 40 million people are serious followers of Jesus. Their lives have been changed and they have a dramatic impact on the lives of people around them. What about the world? Did you know that, in the world, mostly Latin America, Africa below the Sahara, and parts of Asia, more people have become followers of Jesus in recent decades than ever before in the history of the world. Is that your perspective that there are some, there's some really good news out there? Some, it's not what people often want you to believe. Now today, my message is briefer than normal. We've got some exciting things happening up here with some students and adults as they Confirm to you that they are followers of Jesus and are serious about it. Um, we're going to celebrate that. And we'll continue with this theme next week. But I want to just leave you today with some positive nuggets from a biblical worldview. And, and quite frankly, they, all, they go against my natural inclinations. They go against the way I was when I was younger in terms of my perception of life and how well it's going. But I, find, I personally find them really helpful. In the middle of adversity, it feels much worse than it actually is. Now, this is, if you have given your life to Christ, you are a serious follower of His, it, is almost, it almost always feels much worse than it is. Now, we've all known people like our grandson, Nathan, the three-year-old, only much older. Um, who we see them and it's obvious they're overreacting to adversity and they're being unreasonable. Don't you know somebody like that? Can you think of anybody like that? That's because we are all unreasonable. I am unreasonable. Whether it's big or small, important or not, my pain will tend to take over and I will focus on it. My pain will feel much bigger than is reasonable. And if I let it, it'll ruin my experience of life and depress me. So it helps if we will focus on positive truths. That's what God has told us to do. And we'll get to the verse um, along the lines of what Ben was sharing in his video in a few moments. First of all, it will get better. If you've put your faith in Christ, he promises that you are going to receive an immortal, perfect body without pain, forever. You'll be with God. Now, you'll also be with us, but we'll be a lot better by then. Even if evil kills you, God will resurrect you. This life is definitely very important, but the next life is much more important. This is merely the beginning. And not good, but really great things are coming. The Apostle Paul assures us no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's gonna be beyond your expectations. Now sometimes in this life you go to the college you want, sometimes you don't. Sometimes in this life you know, you, you, you get the friends that you want or the job that you, but not, sometimes you don't. But in the next life we are promised that it is going to exceed our expectations. And some of you have good, good imaginations. Paul, who suffered more than any of us, says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now that's really good news. All of this is temporary. It's we're going to be in this situation that all of the adversity and the pain will just kind of disappear. C.S. Lewis says that God kind of works backwards and redeems it all. If you love Jesus, if you've accepted the pardon he offers, then great things that will last forever are coming. Also, you are much more loved and actually much more important than you realize. Jesus died for you. He died for you because you're loved and you're important. God gives you the Holy Spirit because he likes being with you. He wants you in his family. He, he'll never abandon you, and nothing can separate you from his love. And then finally, supernatural peace is available to you. The prophet Elijah was depressed. He wanted to die, an angel came and touched him. Ben was about to go rage in an umpire when he was surprised by supernatural peace in a way that he hadn't experienced before. Now, in the video, Ben mentions the verse about peace that passes understanding. And as I close today, I want to just kind of look at that whole context of that very important verse um, and take it in its entirety because it urges us to become people of reasoned encouragement with God's supernatural peace. And what I'm trying to get across to you, that especially in pain and adversity, we are not by nature reasonable. And left to ourselves, we will misunderstand life and think it's worse than it is. We need to constantly reason with ourselves and tell ourselves the truth over and over. That's one of the reasons why I'm such a big fan of of memorizing. And if you can't memorize, then put stuff on your phone and read it several times a day or on a piece of paper where you'll see it. But to tell ourselves the truth over and over because we just so quickly go back to what is not what God has told us. We need a lot of help to correct our skewed perspective. If we tell ourselves the truth over and over, that helps us to understand it deep, more deeply, deeper and deeper, that our pain is temporary, that we're loved, that we're important, that, that great things are coming. That's really good news. Left to ourselves, we will let our pain and our adversity become our focus. Instead, God tells us, Ask for what you need. Train yourself to focus on good things and then receive the supernatural peace that Ben was talking about. Now this passage is in Philippians 4 that Ben mentioned um, and it puts all of these things together. Again, I highly recommend you, you memorize it or at least read it over and over and over. Here's what God tells you to do. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Would you join me in prayer? (laughs) Father, you promised that you are here, that your Holy Spirit is here, that you are working, so we ask that right now you would, you would work powerfully through your Holy Spirit. That you would whisper to each of us, that you would nudge us, that you would tell us that we are indeed loved, that we are more important than we can possibly imagine, that we are with you, that you'll never abandon us, and that things are much better than we just naturally seem to think they are. Come and speak to us now.
2: probably all know that our faith is um, both an intellectual pursuit and an emotional heart pursuit. And um, right now, we get to combine those things um, together as we celebrate our confirmation class. And the way that I could best describe it is a lot of these students. had already recognized emotionally in their hearts who Jesus was. And as a church family, we wanted to also give them some of the intellectual aspects of our faith so that we could intertwine the mind and the heart. And that's what we've spent the last six months doing. So I'd like to invite up the confirmands and their mentors, as well as Jay, Marilyn, Don, yes, you all come on up. Hold your applause till... The end. There there might be a couple times for applause in here. So who here in in, uh, the congregation was baptized as an infant? All right. Look around. There's a lot of you. Okay. So the idea of confirmation is that, well, who here remembers that? (laughs) Okay. Right. So the idea behind confirmation is that um, as a Reformed tradition, we want to recognize what God did in that special moment in the covenant uh, baptism that took place when we were infants. And we want to give them the information about our faith in order for them to confirm what happened to them when they were infants, when they were babies and they didn't recognize it. But somehow in God's mystery, he claimed them at that moment and here they are confirming it and some of them were baptized as infants and some of them were baptized um, like three years ago it's all across the board but the idea is now they're they are standing up for the first time as recognized adults be careful parents within our family um saying yes i believe this to be true jesus christ is my lord and savior in fact one of them chase will be baptized today so um It's all exciting things. And first of all, I've got a few people that I need to thank. Um, There are 13 adults within our congregation who have mentored and discipled these students for the past six months, who have been stood up for coffee dates, who have um, been rejected by text messages and don't know how to use Snapchat. And so those adults are Valerie Queering, Dean Gray, Julie Dyerly, Kathy Gray. Corone and Frank Octagon, Ben Bransford, Amanda de la Vega-Tovar, Tom Jones, Don Haupt, George McNeely, and Liz Hume. So if you see them, give them a hug because they need it. <laughs> I would also like to thank the parents. Oftentimes these faith pursuits are defined by a parent just helpfully pushing their teenager towards what is appropriate. And so, we've got a lot of great parents within this congregation who have walked alongside their students and wanted their students to know the Lord. And um, we've found that that is the single best thing that will help these students hold on to their faith through college and beyond to have families who are supportive of them spiritually. And now, let me just explain what they did briefly. On the screen, you can see, hopefully, it'll be there. There it is. All right, so they had to meet with their adult mentor at least 10 times for an hour. They had to memorize the Apostles' Creed, I think, right? Yeah, okay, good. Um, They have to be an active participant in the life here at CPC. They also had to attend a covenant uh, partner class. And then lastly, they read and studied the book of Philippians as well as a riveting book called Presbyterian Beliefs by um, Donald McKim. It was actually a good book. I recommend it to you all. The title could use some work. Um, so, for those of you who are adults and want to become a member or a covenant partner of this church, do you want to know what you need to do? You just got to go to a covenant partner class and then meet with the elders really quickly. These students did that and a whole bunch more. And I don't. I am not a culture warrior, um, but these students did stand up against adversity by, by deciding to do this, and just the adversity of busyness, of every which way they could be pulled, through sports, through music, through clubs, through academics, through family life, social life, all of those things, and they decided for the past six months to make their faith a priority, and that is a huge undertaking and something that will pay dividends for the rest of our lives. So we're extremely proud of them. And so our rallying cry um, for confirmation is found in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense or to give an answer to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. We want our students to be able to give an answer for the hope that they have. And hopefully this process has given them the capacity to do so. In fact, they're going to take vows right now and they're going to confess that answer in front of the whole church. And I would like to point out that there are seven vows because these are the same vows that we ask people who are becoming covenant partners. And not only did all of these students get confirmed. Some of them became covenant partners in between the services today. And so those, those are Mac, Annalise, Dylan, Pierce, and Chase all became covenant partners as well this morning. So they're gonna take their vows in front of you about that as well. So Pastor Rick, will you lead us in our vows?
0: So all of them are taking the first six vows and then five of them the, last seven, the seventh one. Do you believe in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as revealed in the Holy Scriptures? I do. do you reject evil and the devil? I do. do you trust in and rely upon Jesus Christ and His suffering on the cross alone for the forgiveness of your sins? I do. Who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus. Disciples are called to love the Lord and be transformed into His likeness. By the grace of God, will you be a disciple of Jesus Christ? As a disciple, will you make diligent use of the means of grace, including worship, prayer, study, fellowship, service, and generosity? And this is the seventh one for those of you becoming covenant partners. And there are some adults in the back that are also becoming covenant partners today. (laughs) By grace, will you love the brethren, promote the peace of this church, and support and submit to its duly constituted leadership? Oh, wait, wait. I've got to. Would you guys please stand? (laughs) I almost forgot that part. Do you, the members and participants at CPC, will you help these people to follow Jesus? Will you welcome them? Will you love them in spite of their flaws? Will you encourage them? Will you graciously correct them when appropriate? Will you sacrifice for them? Will you pray for them? And will you serve them? If so, please signify by saying, we will. Yeah. Please be seated.
2: Yeah, not to lose the fact that Don, Jay, and Marilyn all became covenant partners as well this morning. So, And I want you to take a look at this. And I want you to look around because this is what the church looks like, that it's, it's not a church of one generation. We are a family. There's supposed to be all living generations in this place. And so these mentors and students did life together, and um, we are thankful to this church family for helping facilitate that. And now what we're going to do is actually we're going to have a party. And to kick things off, we are going to walk out those doors. And we are going to anoint the confirmands, as they're called, with oil and um, signify their baptism and the fact that the Holy Spirit has mysteriously used this um, to confirm their faith. And we're also going to get in a nice, cool tub and baptize Chase Jones. And then we will have a barbecue and celebrate, give them high fives, and I'll sneak them away at some point and give them a bee's knees ice cream cake from Revival. That's their special treat. Uh, Let me pray for them, and then that's essentially our benediction. This prayer will function as a sending prayer to to have us go outside while Pastor Rick and I take off our shoes and chase. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for a church that cares for all people, and I pray that in areas where we're not doing that, you would shine your light and that we would begin to do so. I thank you for um, these mentors who are willing to set apart time that they could be spent working or with their family or anything else really, um, and worked alongside these students. And I ask now a special blessing upon these teenagers, that your Holy Spirit would pour out them in, pour out on them in a unique way, that this day forward they would never question the impact that you've had on their lives, and that you would continue to walk with them as we celebrate together not only with each other but with the angels in heaven it's in your name amen thank you for listening for more information about carmel presbyterian church visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages
0: have a blessed rest of your week